0: As we continue to muddle the best we can through the current public health crisis with anxiety sky high, it's worth noting that this week is the 10th anniversary of a milestone in American healthcare. Ten years ago this week, on March 21, 2010, the Affordable Care Act was passed by Congress and signed into law by President Obama just a few days later. Yet, as we also know, healthcare is constantly at the top of the list of Americans' concerns. So, while it's worth taking stock of what the ACA accomplished, and as you may know, I believe its accomplishments have been many, it's also important to think about what next steps might look like. This is Prognosis Ohio, WCBE's healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Ohio University Health Policy Professor Dan Skinner. Hey, folks, and I hope you're doing okay. This week's episode is about the Affordable Care Act, and my guest is former Congresswoman Mary Jo Kilroy. I wrote to Mary Jo the other day to let her know that this episode would be coming out, and she replied that she thought it seemed out of date already. An understandable response. Um, As you all know, things are moving fast, with each day feeling like a week or even a month, which makes March 9th, when I spoke with Mary Jo Kilroy, feel like a month ago. I totally get her point, but also think that it's worth pausing on the ACA's 10th anniversary for a moment anyway, and for several reasons. One very simple reason is that it just can't be coronavirus all the time. Another is that, speaking personally, I've been finding moments of historical reflection helpful during this time. But also, as you'll hear, I actually think that our conversation raises some questions about the present moment, as well as some ideas for moving forward. For example, Republican efforts to roll back the Affordable Care Act and its Medicaid expansion in particular are likely to worsen the impact of the coronavirus pandemic. The ACA's benefits to hospitals and reducing uncompensated care are particularly important right now. In fact, if there's anything I'd like to add to my conversation with Congresswoman Kilroy, it's that it's more important than ever that states that resisted expanding Medicaid to 133% of the federal poverty level do so immediately. After all, with the economic fallout that we discussed on our last episode, we're likely to have a lot more people experiencing financial pain. If anything, as Mary Jo tweeted at me the other day, we should be considering expanding Medicaid up to 200% of the federal poverty level right now. In other words, we should be building on the ACA's legacy right now. As always, before turning to my conversation with Mary Jo Kilroy, I'd like to remind you to please subscribe to Prognosis Ohio wherever you get your podcasts, and please consider following us on Twitter at, at @PrognosisOhio, where we continue to tweet and retweet out up-to-date announcements from the state and other official entities about the coronavirus situation. Also, at this time when we need one another more than ever, please don't hesitate to email us at prognosisohio at gmail.com just to say hi, or if there's anything you need, we'd love to hear from you. Mary Jo Kilroy is the former U.S. Representative for Ohio's 15th Congressional District, serving from 2009 to 2011. In addition to being a former member of Congress, Kilroy is an attorney, a former two-term county commissioner of Franklin County, and she served two four-year terms in the Columbus School Board. Today, she's a vocal community activist and a persistent voice in democratic politics here in Ohio. Thanks, Mary Jo Kilroy, for talking with me on the podcast.
1: I'm so glad to be here.
0: So it's been 10 years since the Affordable Care Act. Uh, The Affordable Care Act is something that we've discussed on this show, something that since uh, President Trump was elected, he came in kind of with this promise to repeal it, and it didn't happen quite. But there's a longer story, a more detailed story. And I I guess with a 10-year look back, just tell us a little bit about your perspective on what do you think it's accomplished? What's its legacy so far?
1: Well, its legacy is in the millions of... People and their families who obtained health care for the first time, which was a remarkable achievement given that health care had been uh, basically a a non-starter since Medicare was enacted in 1965. I mean, the Clintons tried and failed. Others tried and failed. But finally, um, we were able to accomplish something that provided real, measurable benefits for millions of Americans And as Joe Biden so memorably said, it's a BFD.
0: Right. You know, I think that people sometimes don't remember that, you know, especially critics of the Affordable Care Act, um, that it was a hundred year, almost hundred year process to really... Almost, a, almost a century. I mean, we had yeah, the. Medi- I think
1: Teddy Roosevelt talked about it.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, the Nixon administration. There were some moments right. that you know would probably be called socialism by the Trump administration today if they were able to actually accomplish that. And Medicare and Medicaid in 1965 is the kind of one exception. So, what do you think that listeners should know about the Affordable Care Act that they might not know? I mean, what, what, in your view, and you had some specific. I mean, you you were in Congress at the time that the bill was passed but you also played a role in some specific provisions of it. What what do you think that people should know about it?
1: Well, the questions of what they know that they might not know is that not only did the Affordable Care Act provide health insurance for millions of people and and save lives, but it also saved money. Hmm. There were all these gloom and doom predictions about what it would do to the deficit, yet many um, economists have noted that it's actually – saved the, the money in the federal budget. It also provided major support for, for public health and a funding stream of about $2 billion a year towards public health, which was sorely needed. As you know, at that time, we were just coming out of a major recession and job loss that had hit states hard, and states had cut funding in various areas, including public health, and that was able to restore some funding which unfortunately, uh, that funding stream was ended by Trump and the Republicans when they passed their tax cut bill and redirected those funds elsewhere.
0: So, you know, people tend to focus on things like the exchanges and the markets have gone through some ups and downs, and the Trump administration has uh, removed some of the subsidies um, and, you know, I mean, by their own admission, sort of gone after some of the core parts of the Affordable Care Act. But also people may not realize, you know, for example, the Medicaid expansion, which is a huge part of it, um, reduced uncompensated care for hospitals. I mean, there's a number of different provisions that have really stabilized certain parts of our health care system as well.
1: Now, Medicaid did great things for hospitals here in Ohio and for state budgets that accepted the Medicaid expansion. Unfortunately, some states, uh, particularly southern states governed by uh, Republican governors, didn't accept it. But when you're adding 26 um, million people yeah. uh, to the health care rolls just by Medicaid, that has an enormous impact on their economy, and obviously an enormous impact on people who were outside of the health care system because they were working poor, um, but they didn't have children, so didn't qualify for Medicaid, or they couldn't prove that they were disabled and didn't qualify for Medicaid and that was a major achievement and one of the things that i was really proud was part of the affordable care act
0: i wonder if we could turn to that day march 21st 2010 and um as i know i've told you you know for me that day it was interesting that you know i i was diagnosed with cancer on a friday and the vote was on a sunday and i remember watching from new york at that time it wasn't in ohio yet but watching all of you on the floor of the House um, getting ready to make this historic vote. I was also paying attention to the people talking around me, critics, and all the, you know, kind of nasty discourse that already started around it, and just thinking— Wow, how lucky am I that I actually have healthcare services available to me for my health challenges? That wasn't the case even a year before that. My union had fought for and won healthcare access for me as an adjunct at the City University of New York. So it was very close for me in terms of that conversation about medical debt and, and all of that. So, you were there. Um, Can you just tell us a little bit about what what was that day like? What was that historic day like? Um, What did you think you were doing? And what was the kind of mood among you in the Democratic caucus in particular?
1: Well, it was an amazing day. You know, it was after all of the noise, all of the calls to the office, all of the Tea Party protests, all of the shouts in the hallway of kill the bill, kill the bill. um, We were finally at that point where we were actually going to vote and get it done on, on a, something that I thought was going to be incredibly important to, to people like you and um, people like a friend of mine who had called me that morning. He had, had he was a lawyer. He had had lymphoma. Mm-hmm. He had a small law office. And because of his preexisting condition, the health care policy for his all, small office had been really uh, priced out of their range and uh, so many other people who had told me stories along the way of what health care would mean to them or mean to their families. You know, that day was really incredible. There was a lot of excitement, a lot of feeling that finally, despite all of the obstacles, despite the election of Scott Brown in the Senate, despite the Tea Party and protests at my office and protests both in Columbus and in the Capitol, all kinds of calls and and the continuing shouts of, kill the bill, or you didn't read the bill, although I had read it millions of times, Well, (laughs) that's an exaggeration. But I read each version of it multiple times. We were finally getting to something really important, something that was the reason so many of us actually ran for Congress in the first place, and that was to deliver health care to Americans that was affordable, uh, that was uh, accessible, that Emphasized prevention and primary care, and, and and was a real benefit to people. And so it started off in the morning with the usual one-minute speeches. Uh, yeah. Each side gets a lot allocated a certain amount, and you line up. And I got there early so I could line up to be one of the people that would be able to say something to the Congressional Record on this historic day. It continued on through the debate that morning, and one of the uh, floor managers uh, had the women in Congress line up, the Democratic women lined up, and each give a one-minute speech about why it was important for women, that being a woman wasn't a pre-existing condition anymore, that domestic violence wasn't going to be a pre-existing condition anymore, that women's care for uh, breast cancer or ovarian cancer would be taken
0: care of. The Affordable Care Act also ended uh, this long-standing insurance practice on the private markets of so-called gender rating, which was just basically, I mean, essentially charging women more for being women.
1: Correct. And so my comment was about the economics of this bill and how it affected women and how we were no longer going to be relegated to only being able to afford the skimpiest bare bones policy. And the Republican men who were on the floor every time one of the women spoke would be able to respond and they would respond and oppose what we said. But even worse, they started interrupting the women during their mm-hmm. their, their one minutes you know, with all kinds of points of orders and would you yield and, and this and that, just to try to break up. And not let the women make their statements about how important the Affordable Care Act was to the women of America.
0: Nothing more deflating than taking these very serious questions of access to health care services and gender equity and all of that, and you know issuing parliamentary points of order to just kind of shut it down.
1: And I think they realized somewhere along the line that the optics uh, on the TV coverage of this important debate, weren't so good to have all these men standing there objecting to women. So they brought the Republican women, like Virginia Fox, on the floor to make the same kind of points. Mm. And that was even more discouraging, to have women oppose health care for women of America. Yeah, Um,
0: And deployed in that way, too.
1: And deployed that way, right. Whether it was breast cancer screening or whatever it was. So um, the rules, the the debate continued, the debate on the rules and how the vote would go continued, um, led by the wonderful Louise Slaughter. And one of the things that I was really engaged in and had spoken of and had the opportunity to speak on the steps of the Capitol about before the vote was what it meant for people with pre-existing conditions what it meant that, you know, people with, for example, multiple sclerosis would be able to afford the kind of medications that were extremely expensive biologics um, that would slow down the progression of their illness and that they would no longer be barred from the health insurance market because of that pre-existing condition.
0: The the most vulnerable people out there in you know the disability rights community, I mean we, and the people who do specific work on Specific diseases, rare diseases. I mean, they really benefited a lot from that particular conversation. Right.
1: I actually wore an orange scarf on the floor, um, which was given to me by one of the activists who came to meet us from uh, the MS Society. And again, like helping low income workers, uh, people who were, as a kind of commissioner, uh, that was uh, one of the concerns of mine. And I took that with me to Congress and People being able to get Medicaid um, without all the hurdles, all the bureaucracies, all the uh, requirements to prove disability or, you know, the requirement that you have to have a child, dependent child, that was such a huge thing for me. And, and as it turns out, it was a huge thing in the bill with 26 million people added under that provision alone in the first two years. Yeah,
0: that's huge. You know, people talk about other healthcare systems and people... Need to know that you know the Affordable Care Act expanded access to about the same number of people as live in many countries around the world. Oh wow! You know, that's it's, it's interesting. just a huge accomplishment. But of course, um, that's one of the reasons why the the lift was so hard on it.
1: It was a hard lift, and uh, there was a lot of discussion among certain members of Congress who were, especially those elected for the first time, who were freshmen like myself, um, who were really concerned. And I remember saying, she was saying, well, what if I vote for this and I'm not elected? I don't don't get to return here. I yeah. said, what if you vote against it and you're not elected? How are yeah. you going to feel? What is going to be your legacy? Because it was a legacy vote. Yeah. And I think many people felt like I did, that um, that it was worth it. Win or, win or lose the next election. It is worth it to provide health care for millions of people. Or as Nancy Pelosi said, it was worth her speakership to provide health care for millions of people.
0: We now have some data showing that, too. You know, there have been some studies recently showing that the Medicaid expansion alone um, is believed to have saved tens of thousands of lives. You know, so there is, there's a tangible effect just on on, on people that we can, we can look at now. And um, whatever else you say about the bill, there's that to always have. It occurs to me, you and I met a few years ago at an event for the first time we met, I believe, um, for the Single-Payer Action Network, which is the group here in Ohio that champions um, a statewide single-payer plan. Ultimately, they would love to see a national plan, of course. Uh, And right now, the Affordable Care Act is really front and center in the uh, presidential election. Even a few weeks ago, that wasn't necessarily the case. But now Joe Biden has had this resurgence where he's trying to um, distinguish himself from Senator Sanders by having the Affordable Care Act as part of the legacy, the Obama-Biden legacy, as he likes to talk about. I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about you know um, this the, the contemporary way in which we're talking about this bill and the question of what next in, here in 2020, especially as we're on the cusp of a presidential election. How does, how does the Affordable Care Act play into that?
1: Well, uh, the Affordable Care Act needs improvement. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And even when we passed it, I always said this was like the beta version and we needed to have a a successor versions to make improvements on it. We need to make improvements on on cost containment. We need to make improvements like perhaps a public option. Mm -hmm. Or if we're really going to shoot for true universal coverage, we need to take a look at ideas like Medicare for all. So I'm optimistic that we're having this debate. Uh, I think it's very important that health care remain on the public agenda, because even with you know the, the support for people with pre-existing conditions, the Medicaid expansion, uh, children being able to stay on their parents' policies, the emphasis on prevention, the public health aspects of the bill, and, and those are all wonderful things, there are still people for whom health insurance is not affordable. Yeah. And or what's affordable has such high deductibles that they don't use it. And, and that's a real, real problem for people, and it's causing it causes suffering uh, for people. So it's very critically important that we have this debate at this time in, in the context of our presidential elections. Um, we need to do a lot in order to get there. We would need to do a lot even to improve the act um, in terms of electing members of Congress and members of the Senate and a president who have the, the will to get it done. And then I think it's up to all of us as citizens and activists to continue to push for the kind of change that will improve our health care systems for everybody in our country, make it closer to what goes on in some other countries that do much better job of covering all of their
0: people. On the one hand, there's, of course, and we knew this from the beginning. And I wonder if if you had a sense of these things in 2010. We we knew that there were aspects of the bill that were not perfect. Uh, we knew that, like many, you know, most large scale legislation, uh, we need to tweak things. We need to see what happens. There unintended consequences. So on the one hand, there's this sort of logic of the Affordable Care Act itself and the imperfection there. But then there's the role of the Trump administration and clearly going after it. Um, you know, removing subsidies. Um, ending the navigator program that was supposed to help people sign up for plans, um, a number of different areas like that. And and we're in this interesting political moment where it's hard to disentangle what is in the bill and then sort of what is a a result of administrative sabotage, if we can use that language. Right.
1: You know, it it does need tweaks, Um, for example, like a public option or uh, better support for the exchanges. And instead, the tweaks have gone in the opposite direction. They have been things that have weakened the program and made it more expensive for people and harder to come by. And I think anybody that's looking at either the health care policies of Joe Biden or Bernie Sanders versus the health care policies of Donald Trump has got to conclude that, you know, the Republicans are making it harder for us to get health care and more expensive for us to get health care. Well, the Democratic plans are looking to improve things for the health of the country.
0: One final question. You know, I, I, it occurs to me that when people get down about politics, when they think we were just making some progress and then um, it seems like we're backtracking a little bit. Sometimes as we think back 10 years on the Affordable Care Act, I think people lose sight of the fact that um, we've gained a lot, that there's, the, the ACA was a game changer. For example, I don't remember before 2010, people even talking about the using the language of pre-existing conditions that much. My guess is that this has become something of a so-called third rail in American politics that... Politicians are really afraid of of what would happen. This court case that's in the courts right now could undo the Affordable Care Act and um, undo all the pre existing conditions uh, protections. So I I just I want to just ask you you know even though we don't know what's going to happen in any given election, do you think the ACA has kind of permanently changed in this country or, or moved the benchmark? of what we will accept in terms of health care. I mean ten years down the line it's still the number one issue for Democratic voters.
1: I think absolutely it's changed things. And the Republicans made several runs at repealing it and were and even with the Republican president were not able to do that. And mainly because people said no. There are millions of people in this country with pre existing conditions. There are millions of people in this country who um, don't have health care through their uh, employer. So all of us have a stake in this issue. And so I don't think, um, I, I do think that many of the um, aspects of the Affordable Care Act are going to remain. Um, and and I think it's our job to improve on those and to tweak those and or to make another big step forward, like the Affordable Care Act was. Uh, But all of that means politics. So you can't just sit back and say, oh, they're all alike. You can't just sit back and say nothing ever happens. Uh, Because if we come together, something can happen. And we saw that it did happen. But it's not to say that it isn't without its cynical moments. I mean, there was some of those exchanges that happened in the Senate, like the, the deal with the Cornhusker... Kickback. Kickback yeah. and, and stuff that didn't end up in the final bill, but which caused a lot of people to be very cynical about politics and how things got done and what special interests can do. And there's been some defeats since then. Um, for example, Bernie had a bill on importing drugs from Canada, um, yeah. which uh, failed. Um, so, But there, there's ways that we need to continue to, to work for fairness and equity in healthcare and to recognize that it is something that each of us as human beings need, require, and are, should be entitled to in this country.
0: Well, Mary Jo, I want to just thank you for sharing some of the history, but also reflection here in, you know, 10, de- ten years down the line. The work is far from done, um, and I especially just want to acknowledge the importance of what you mentioned you know, regarding politics, of participating, of not taking for granted what we have, but realizing that it could go away and that progress has to be defended in a kind of ongoing way. So thanks very much for having me here and talking with me.
1: We need to remember, John Boehner and Republicans say, hell no, you can't, that we need to continue to say, yes, we can, yes, we will, and get it done.
0: Thanks very much. Sure. Thanks so much to Mary Jo Kilroy for having me at her home to talk about the ACA. Thanks also to our fabulous dog Poppy for being a good boy with minimal barking while we recorded. Speaking of Poppy, among the causes at Mary Jo Champions is Animal Rescue, and we'll be linking to some resources where you can help an animal in need find its forever home in the Columbus area. Prognosis Ohio is hosted by Dan Skinner and produced by Dan Skinner and Mark Franz. You can find show notes for this episode on WCBE's webpage at wcbe.org under the podcast experience tab. You can subscribe to Prognosis Ohio on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and elsewhere. You can also follow us on Twitter at at @PrognosisOhio, especially for tweets and retweets we're putting out with the latest information from state public health and other officials. As always, we encourage you to email us your suggestions, your feedback, your ideas for guests at prognosisohio at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to us and be well, friends.